Hey, what up, people? Thank you for listening to the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. I just wanted to take a moment out to thank everyone who's rated and reviewed my podcast. I was looking at the ratings over the weekend, and I saw there was a couple new ones, and I was, like, really touched because the first couple, not gonna lie, I just forced my best friends to write them. (laughs) So it's nice to see that, like, strangers actually took the time to review my podcast and say nice things. Still got that five-star rating. But what I'm asking you to do is if you have not rated or reviewed or subscribed to the podcast and you continue to listen to it week after week, please give us a rating, please. The more subscribes and more ratings and reviews a show gets, the higher it is in the charts, it gets more exposure, you know that section where it recommends other shows for you. They base that on all, you know, the data they have from the ratings and reviews. So I'm trying to get this podcast popping. I'm trying to glow up in 2018. I'm trying to make these money moves. So please, I hate to beg, but I ain't too proud to beg. So leave a review, rate and subscribe, follow, do that shit. Thank you. Hey everyone, I have a real special treat for you in store for today's episode and next week as well. I'm going to split it up into two parts. So I had the lovely pleasure of attending the AT&T Shape event today. It's basically um, a space for technologists to meet with content creators. There were gamers, screenwriters, filmmakers, video game designers, all sorts of creative people that came together to sort of learn about the latest technology, whether that be in augmented reality, virtual reality, um, new streaming platforms and apps, and just learning how we can integrate these new media styles into our preferred method of creating. So I was able to attend two panels of my two favorite people. I have like, you know, top 10 favorite people, but these two are definitely up there, um, which is Issa Rae and P. Diddy. So I basically want to share with you today P. Diddy's panel today for all the people who could not attend this lovely event. Basically, my key takeaway from Diddy's talk is that we have to be in ownership of our content. It's not just enough to be in front of the camera, but we need to be behind the scenes making money, making deals, uh, owning our own methods of distribution, creating channels where you know, we can speak for the people and to move beyond the old sort of gatekeeper method of information distribution. And I always say this, I've said it before on other episodes of the show, that as much as people want to complain about social media and all this internet era is, you know, destroying people and making them socially awkward weirdos, which, you know, I kind of somewhat agree, but it's also great because never before in history has, you know, the means of information distribution been so open. Literally, you know, just take 
30 years ago, for example, if you wanted to, you know, make a TV show, you would have had to go through, you know, the very few studios to have a producer. You'd have a bunch of execs telling you what you can or cannot say in your TV show. And they were the ones distributing your show. But now, you know what, if you have a phone in a stable Wi-Fi connection, you can make your own fucking show. It's it's brilliant. It's amazing. You potentially can access billions of people through the internet for such a low cost, low price, and there's so much creativity. There's so much content out there. And for the first time, we can control our own narrative and we can create the stories that we want to see. We don't have to wait for someone to give us a yes or a no. So I was very inspired by his talk and I'm going to share that with you guys and hopefully you can take as much as I did from lessons from Diddy. I was saying, man, he needs to start like a a church, a temple. I don't know, whatever, (laughs) but he needs to be giving sermons on a daily basis. Cause after I left that shit, I was like feeling hype. I'm like, okay, gotta go, gotta make moves, gotta do stuff. (laughs) So I hope that after you guys listen, you'll feel the same way. So yeah, let's, let's listen. Thanks. I'm just going to try to stay out of your way today. <laughs> <laughs> All right? Oh, great. This is, this is truly a blessing. This is incredible what's going on here. Um, I'm inspired. I'm motivated. I'm touched by seeing all these beautiful, diverse young faces that are here to learn. Woo! To listen and to be heard. Yeah! And I all piece of a. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to watch how you put energy in a room and the room gives it back to you, and then all of a sudden you forget where it started, it's just there. It's special. You're a special man. Love. You know, that's my new name, Love, right? Yeah. You don't have to call me after the interview. That's my, that is my, I changed my name. Yeah, not Brother Love, I know. Just Love. You text me, the heart is now your name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not many of us have emojis for names. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, let me start with something that I think is, you know, most people don't think of because Sean Combs, the entertainers, where we all think about you, but Forbes named you one of the best business minds of the last century. Woo! That's and people look at that and they say, well, you have the ability to notice things before others do, but importantly, you you figure out how to capitalize on those. So let's start with, what's your secret there? I don't know if I can tell you my secret. (laughs) (laughs) But I I can tell you my story. Um, I was born in 1969, and 1968 was a crazy, crazy year. CNN just did a documentary on it. So I get born into all of this energy and I, during a time of, of, of blackness, and I, mean, I grew up in Harlem, New York, one of the most artistic, rich communities. I'm listening to Motown, seeing Barry Gordy, and it just touched me in a whole nother way. It wasn't just the music, they transcended music. 
Barry Gordy had ownership. A black man having ownership, actually owning something. It, it, it put me on my mission. It put me on my path. And then one day, I'm in the car, I'm 10 years old, and I'm listening to the station called WBLS in New York. And the DJ's name is Frankie Cropper, one of the coolest DJs in the world. And he was the first to play a hip hop record. It was called Rapper's Delight. And he played it for three hours. <laughs> and my life was changed forever. So I come from this beautiful community, this beautiful culture called hip hop. Started out as a small, disruptive musical genre in the Bronx, and now has grown to be the most powerful cultural force in the world. When I was coming here today, I was like, I, I need to make sure I can back that up. So I looked at um, Spotify's streaming charts worldwide. 41 out of the top 50 songs are hip hop. Wow. Worldwide, right now. <laughs> and so this is, this is what I saw, this is what I believed. I think my secret is that I believe. I believe in the power of my community. I believe in us, I believe in the art of us, I believe in our value. And it put me on a mission. It put me on a mission to not just want to make music, not just want to be known as a rapper. I wanted to come and change the world. I wanted to come and make a difference and, and be a platform, be a place of inspiration, but also to be a foundation to give these voices that aren't heard, this community that's underserved, underserviced, to, to, to give it the light that it needs, but most importantly, to give it the support that it needs. Well, th th that's awesome. Woo! Yeah, um, so, so let's get a little on that theme, because you know, you, your, your vision, you lay out there, you're pretty um, direct with it, and so when you think about folks here that are technologists and content creators, and a lot of them emerging, just getting their way going, you, you talk about black is the new black. When you think about that, what is that in the, what's the context of that as you think about content media? And the context of it is that right now we're in a black renaissance, we're in a black rebirth. There was this experiment that they just had, me and you, when we, would, we had lunch one day, I was telling you, there's an experiment about to happen. Yeah. Coming. And the experiment was Black Panther. Mm -hmm. You gotta understand, this is, this is our first shot. This is our first time up at bat ever. Getting the proper resources, the proper distribution, the proper promotion. And we're, you know, 1.3 billion dollars that film made. Yeah. You know, it was very interesting, though, just to attest to that, you know, we, we were having lunch, and, and you very boldly at that time said, this is a billion-dollar movie. You hadn't seen it. 
you said this is a billion dollar movie because I just feel how the wind is and the temperature is. This this feels different this time. This is going to be special. So so you called it at, at, at over a billion before it launched and before you saw it. So that that, that was amazing that the context of that for your ability to see that. Um, you know, just growing up and not having the opportunities, but understanding how powerful our culture is, you know, it just, it just made me really want to empower people. I want to find the next Issa Rae, Ryan Coogler, Ava DuVernay, Spike Lee, Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry, Oprah Winfrey, who changed the whole game. It gave me a purpose. It was more than me just selling hip hop, selling culture. It gave me a pur purpose to inspire. And, and, and this is just good for business. Yeah. This is just good business. Hip hop is a $10 billion industry. It just makes sense for us to finally be seen and heard and have the proper resources. We talked one time and we said, you can't get anything done without that money. <laughs> and, and that's what our future likes. I want to be there to provide all these creators here. I want to be able to, have, be able to provide financial support, not just inspirational support, because you can talk to somebody to <laughs> blow in the face if you don't invest in them and make their name right. community, I started Revolt because my community needed a network. We needed a platform. All the things that's going on right now in the world, we have no place to go to discuss how we feel. Nothing is expressed through our lens. What we've been brought up to see is the gatekeepers who don't look like us and don't care about us um, putting us in narratives that aren't who we are. Black Panther just scratched the surface of how great we are. And so I wanted to put my money where my mouth was, and I wanted to create an institution, a place that young people that can't get heard, can't get seen, that are creators, they could come and they could have a place, they could have a home that talks about these issues. Nobody knows how we truly feel about Trump. We haven't been able to have a platform to have real talk. And right now, out of 500 cable networks, only three are majority black owned. So you have to ask yourself the question, is that fair? Is that right? We've been under psychological warfare. Everything's been negativity, negativity. You know, with thugs, um, slaves. We're not slaves, by the way. We're, 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 we're kings and queens. Woo! 
way later in history. <laughs> way so far later in history. And that passion, that's revolt. It's, it's, it's not for myself. It's for us. It's something that's needed. So when anything goes on in, in the world, whatever issues, you get to hear our perspective, uncut, unfiltered, and that's revolt. In front of the camera and behind the camera. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, we were sitting one time, and, and uh, we, as a technology company, AT and T, do a lot of things around AI, machine learning, and all that stuff. And we, and we talked a little bit about um, media and entertainment, and where's the machine and where's the man. And, and you really kind of turned my head that day. And said, whatever we do, we have to do it with with a man on the top, a person on the top, not a machine on the top. And so we got to run the machines, not that, not that the machines run us. As you think about taste making and curating and how you get this stuff together, um, what, what could you share with thinking about how brands can stay competitive in this new world? How do you keep the curator on top? Okay. I could just tell you my personal story, my personal vision for when I started out with Bad Boy and all my other companies. I had this dream, I had this vision that you would wake up in the morning, your alarm would go off and you hear a record I produced on Bad Boy Record. You get in the shower, get out the shower, spray on some unforgivable cologne. <laughs> <laughs> then you put on the Sean John <laughs> Then you go to work at Combs Enterprise, one of the various entities. <laughs> 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 um, then you go home and you would watch the four, or you would overwhelm the daily dose of black excellence in unapologetic hip hop. Then there would be a party that night. And <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy yourself. <laughs> You get dressed, you throw some more Sean John. <laughs> you go to the club, you dance to some more bad boy records. <laughs> Biggie. <laughs> After you got thirsty and worked up, <laughs> you know, were old enough to partake <laughs> in some ultra premium spirits. <laughs> Order some Syrah. Yeah. You may order, if you like to kill, any to kill the drinkers. <laughs> then this is the most important thing. Then you go home. And when you go home, you have to drink a full bottle of this. <laughs> so you can get up in the morning and do it all over again. <laughs> It's a beautiful dream that I made a reality. Yeah. Woo! And can I just talk a little bit? Yeah, really. <laughs> it's a beautiful dream that I made a reality. But I, I had to use my own money to do it. I had to use my own resources to do it. And I was able to have a certain amount of success. But in order to really be able to, everybody's not in my position 
that has a dream. And we need the proper, when we say resources, I, we actually need for our community, we need belief, we need distribution, and we need the finances for us to be great. You know, I mentioned backstage, I'll, I wanted to share with these folks a little bit. You know, people talk about you having vision and seeing things um, and then capitalizing, but you have a, you have a, a rare blessing of being able to manifest. So you don't sit there and read and watch and think, what's the next logical thing? You're on your own world sometimes, you, you know, building this, this dream you have. And then it's, it's the, what separates you is you have the will to execute. Like, most people don't get an appreciation for that. That's not an artist thing. That's a, that's a beast. That's a, someone wakes up in the morning and says, I gotta, get, I gotta get stuff done. I gotta make this stuff happen. It's not gonna happen just by sitting here dreaming it up. But I, I've been very, very impressed in our business dealings with watching how concerned that, that you are about making sure you're executing and, and I think of that as manifesting a dream, not sitting around and just dreaming it up. Yeah. Uh, where does that come from? That comes from my mother. Um, she, she actually worked four jobs, I'm not exaggerating. She worked four jobs to, to take care of us. And you know, one day I asked her for a pair of sneakers and, and she couldn't afford it. And the look that I saw on her face, I said, I, I will never see that look on my mother's face again. And I was 12 at the time, so um, I was kind of young to get hired for labor laws and everything. <laughs> so I came up with this idea that all of the paper boys that were going to college, I could deliver their papers while they're in college and then send them 50% of the money. <laughs> so I was able to get a route, and then it turned into six routes. And the thing that I learned most importantly, besides I was making $600 a week and I really liked how it feel, felt, was it was that next step that I would take. All the other paper boys would just throw the papers on the lawn. You know, you have older people that you know, have to come outside and go and bend down. And I, I made it my business to make sure that I followed through. And I learned that from my mother, following through on my dreams, following through on what I believe. So I made sure I put the paper in between the screen door and the door so they didn't have to go outside. And I've taken that work ethic throughout my whole life. I'm going to tell you something funny. Um, I've never told you this, but I also did a paper route. And the way that I inherited my paper route is I went and did that young boy's work for about a year getting only 10 or 20 cents on his dollar, Ooh. knowing that when it was time for him to move on, it would be my shot. And that's actually, not kidding you, that was my, I made the exact same decision. Uh, I'm going to put that paper between the door. Oh. And when they open it, they, it's between the paper and the door. So. If you get a good mother and a paper route, you're going to get a check. <laughs> same desires, the same needs, want the same opportunities. I just want us to all get a fair chance to compete. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
I think that if a lot of the bigger brands and outlets don't change, that there's a whole new generation of, of dreamers and, and journalists and film directors and screenwriters and content creators that are coming to take their place. And they're not gonna play, they're not gonna listen to the old narrative. They're not even gonna be listening to anybody anymore. They're gonna be doing what they wanna do and they're gonna be connecting with an audience that's out there consuming content and consuming information and they want something fresh, new, and something that represents and looks like them, it feels like them. And that's all colors. This is just good for the world. It's good for the, it's just, it's just good for the greater good. back in time, you look at this environment and you, know, you have a, an amazing set of content creators out there. What advice do you give them? You, you talked about a couple of, you know, own something. How should they be looking at the world and breaking through some of these traditional structures? Are they going to, you know, what's the proactive step that one can take? Number one is know your craft. Master your craft. My biggest thing is I wanted to be competitive. I just, I just want to get a chance. I don't want to do handouts. I just want to get a chance to get on the court or on the field and be able to compete. So know your craft. Be competitive. Be fearless. Be fearless with your ideas. The crazy ones, those are the ones that's going to make a difference. Nobody wants to keep on um, hearing and seeing the same stories. And, and understand the power in our unity. Understand the power in us sticking together and us deciding and us controlling our own narrative. And, and you have a big responsibility because the new narrative is going to change the world. So when you think about that and you, you kind of flip it and say, you know, what do you worry about? What, what worries you about the ability for this vision to unfold? I worry about the reality, you know. I worry about the, the hard facts that, so say for filmmakers in here, only 3% of them would be people of color that would really get a chance for a major motion picture. If actors, as good as Black Panther's doing, we're only at 7% as far as in lead roles. I'm, I'm concerned about the, the level of disrespect that's constantly handed down to my community. Woo! I just want to do something about it. I just want to get busy. I don't want to ask nobody for nothing. I just want us to get down with each other and rise to the top. I mean it, you know? <laughs> um, when I first started out and I was working, I didn't really like know my purpose. And once you combine what you love to do in creativity with a purpose, and a purpose for the greater good, it just, it, you go to a whole nother level. And when we were just talking about brands or even like AT&T or any of these big brands that, that everybody has named on this stage, I would say to ask yourself, what's your purpose? 
what side of history are you going to be on? Because things are going to change. So are you going to be on making it a better place? Are you going to stand for something? Are you going to mean something that's empowering? Are you going to mean something that's positivity or is it just a business? Because people are in real life situations and they want you to not just sell them products and be your customers. They want you to care about what's going on in their lives. Those tiny little lines that used to define where things are, what things are, have blurred for companies. And you know, at least from our perspective, one of the things that it's important is our customers don't want to just see what you have. They want to see what you stand for. They want to understand the company's values, not just what they're selling. And uh, they want you to be genuine and authentic and local and not just sell to, but be part of. And I think that's the thing that, uh, you know, it's a tough transition. You know, we, as you said, you have, you know, you have structures, but you, you have structures, you have memory, you have people, you know, you got to break it off. Yeah. You got to be willing to break it off. Yes. I, w I would say to, to you and everybody that sat in that chair in a position of power that the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie about how many people these big corporations employ, that what is the diversity? Apple, Facebook, they only have 3%, 3 to 5% diversity, people of color. That's, that's a hard fact. I just, I just want the people that also sat in a position of power and asked questions to really make sure that they understand what's going on and that they understand the need for change. And they live by their numbers on how many people they employ, how much they invest in the community. Do they give a return back? You know, and I think that simplifies it, because numbers don't lie. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And, and, and we as AT&T have always viewed diversity in, as an important part of who we are. I'm gonna tell you a, a little story here about uh, what we're putting together here in Chicago. We opened up a center in Chicago, in the city of Chicago to serve um, our customers. But if you look, over half of those employees are coming out of um, the most violent neighborhoods, and for some it's their first job. And it's amazing what you have to, and it's 87% it's uh, black. But it's, it's in, you have to learn when you serve that neighborhood that public transportation is unreliable, so you have to think about how do you get people to work. Um, and so, you know, it, it's caused us to deal with a whole lot of things that we didn't used to have to deal with. And so I appreciate what you're saying. And I think at the end of the day, you can't make a story that doesn't have the numbers. You know, and the numbers will always carry a story. But a story that doesn't carry the numbers isn't worth a darn mm -hmm. as it relates to anything that you want your company to stand for. So I, I think it's really... Community audible people responsible for their numbers, not just their their rhetoric. I don't think you can show up 
and say I'm going to serve the neighborhood and not be part of it. You know, you have to you have to own those things, and uh, so I, I appreciate what you're saying. Can I tell you my AT and T story? <laughs> <laughs> so I was 11. For Christmas, I opened this envelope. I wanted a bike. I didn't get a bike. <laughs> I'll buy you a bike. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's got it for me the next year. <laughs> but um, when I open this envelope, I see this AT&T stock. And I'm like, wow, I have some AT&T stock. And, and, and it meant something to me. Because you guys allowed the community to come in and you didn't have to be rich, you didn't have to be, you know, white. You could be any color from any neighborhood, and you could be a shareholder at AT&T. So, after I met you, I went and I started searching to see if I could, you know, look and see what my stock value was. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> I haven't been able to get an answer. <laughs> I can get you an answer to that. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody in this room listening wrote that down. Get you an answer right away on that. <laughs> I want to say what you guys have put together here and all the initiatives that I know that you're doing, the way that you um you guys have incredible plans to really support the community, and and this this is what's needed. And I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you. you know, the first time we met, we had a really good vibe. And the thing I really like about you is when you put you put your cards right on the table, face up, <laughs> and uh, and then you. Hold people accountable, and I think it's been—I uh, think it's been a, a great relationship. I—if I, you don't, can I tell a little story? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it ties to your story. This isn't about me. It's really about them and me telling them that there's not a coincidence we both sit up on stage here together. Because I was 10 years old and I lived in an urban area and uh, one of 11 kids. And my college job, I made more than my dad. So I wasn't born in any kind of privilege, but I was walking behind in an alleyway, and I remember like it was yesterday, and I thought, I better, I better decide what I want to be when I grow up. Um, and then I had a comma, and in my head I said, because I could be anything I wanted to be. And I actually toyed around with being an astronaut, because at that time we were going to the moon, professional athlete, and I actually made the decision back then I wanted to be the businessman that my dad read about in the newspaper. And, um, and people look at that and they think, oh, well, they, you know, this was my dream manifested at the same age that you did growing up in the same kind of place that you did. And then you just say, i got to get there. i got to be relentless about it. And so um, the, the, the common element, when I listen to your story, I resonate with it so much, not just because it's right, but because it's familiar. And that familiarity, I think, it, it, it's part of our closeness, right? Because right away you hit it off with someone you, you can feel and we've talked about, you know, a lot of 
great, beautiful blackness, you know, black <laughs> race today, but it's about all of us. This, this is good for all of us. We have these similar stories. So that same pain, it doesn't matter what color you are. You, you, you can, anybody can feel that. I don't like feeling pain. I don't like seeing my people stressed out. I don't like seeing my people oppressed. I don't like seeing anybody oppressed. And I, I, I think we hit the nail right on the head with we could come from different parts of the world and have the same dreams, same aspirations, and we're people. Human beings, we want to live a great life, take care of our families, make a difference. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. And I love the love feeling more than all of the tension and the negativity. I love the I love having a good time. And um, we're not really having a good time right now. <laughs> so, so we need to get to making some changes and, and just remember that we all are one. Yeah, but you did give them very specific instructions from the time the alarm goes off in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> about to feel love. That's curation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what are you most excited about now when you think about the curator businessman? You know, you, you got a lot of things in the fire. Um, which one do you think most about? Which one is occupying your mind at night? I just had one of my dreams come true. I went back to my, my neighborhood and I opened up a school. Wow. And it's called Capital Prep Hall. And I'm so excited about the youth. I'm so excited about these kids. Like from sixth grade, you can see the passion of what they want to do. You can see that they're not letting their, their boundaries of where they live at stop them. They want to be engineers. They want to be coders. They want to be scientists. They, they, they want to do it all. And, it, and the blessing of being able to teach them and lead them and give them a place of safety where they can feel loved and get that extra attention. Because in order to come to school, you have to be almost two grades behind. Mm. So I'm very, very excited about that. Mm. Do you mind if I just share something about that school? Yes. I went to visit that school and uh, the requirement is two grades behind, but the brilliance is three grades ahead. Yeah. Look at what they're able to do, and you realize it's environmental that held them back. And so you look at it, and you'd say, now when they get into a safe environment where the narrative changes, that being the scientist is 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 what we aspire to be. You can you don't have to spend a lot of time reading. You can feel greatness when you walk in. And I think that for all the great things that you've done. You're going to be most remembered when those kids start hitting the world, because that model will will reshape things. Now, I sent my New York team into Harlem to go learn what you were doing and figure out how we can support that 
because that's genuine, that's authentic, that's local, and we can maybe scale something like that into a bigger sit here and talk to you all day. Uh, I'm sure that those folks could listen all day. Uh, but, uh, so, parting words for these folks here. A lot of them are aspiring. They love what you say. What are your parting words for them that, that might cause them to feel a spark today that becomes something next month that becomes magic down the road? It can be done. You can manifest what your dreams are. Deal with the reality of no matter what the circumstances is, and make it happen. Get together. Just don't be standing next to each other. Get together and make a change. Believe in each other, support each other. Change the narrative. You know, and, and, and be heard and put that work in. Because it's about competing. I want to be the best. I want you to want to be the best. And keep God first. Yeah. <laughs> keep listening to them bad boy records. <laughs> Sean, you're... you're a magical uh, businessman, but you're uh, even a better human being. And I think that this, 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 uh, this group today got an opportunity to see what's inside you. And, you know, when you read about you, you watch you, you feel the fire, but the, the love is what makes you special. And I think that uh, everybody got an opportunity today to see what drives you. So I can't thank you enough for taking time from your schedule to come visit with us today. I want to thank you for being part of this. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. If you're a fan of the show, I have a really great offer for you. So I designed these logo pins based on the logo for my show. And I'm sending free pins out. That's like free shipping, free everything. All you have to do is go to my website, stuffidontlike.net, and sign up for the mailing list. And I will send you a free pin. If for some reason you don't want to give me your physical address, maybe you're in the CIA. Yeah. <laughs>
Maybe, you know, you live on a hippie commune in the woods and you don't even have an address. That's cool too, because you can still enter your email address and be added that way. You won't receive a pin if I don't have your physical address, but you will receive updates and exclusive content. You'll be the first to know when I launch my ebook that's coming up called 30 Dope Reads, which will just be a compilation of books that I love and would love for everyone to share and enjoy so yeah please go to the website stuffidontlike.net and subscribe to the mailing list thanks guys